Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 88 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 23, Chapter 17, Mystery Babylon. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Well, that's wonderful. That's what we do here, and we'll, we'll be doing more of that here as we continue on and in a church that well, I said, I think a few weeks ago, I believe we're an apostolic church and that I've always shied away from that terminology somewhat. But in the true sense of the word, the word apostle means the sent out ones. So it's in the true sense of the word we at this church find ourselves sending people out to carry the gospel. We've also are starting what we call a fellowship of ministries. It'll be on our webpage that the elders came together at the last elders meeting and we felt that we would have a fellowship of ministries where all of these ministries could, it's held very loosely, but uh, it's just a connection for those ministries that we send out or those ministries that see that we're kind of a covering over, if you will, or a help or a covering over is not really the right terminology. It's more of some people like that term and that is totally fine, but it's more we're more of a help to them and give them a place to connect and know that they're connected to this church and their ministry. And it'll be called a New Life's Fellowship of Ministry. It will be a directory on the webpage. And uh, we'll start developing some resources to help those ministries. We've got a one particular lady in our congregation in college at the moment that we're believing to help us in this endeavor to help ministries uh, find resources and get connected with some things that's needed. So that's exciting. And it's not that we're, we didn't put up a shingle and say, hey, we're going to start sending ministries out. It's just, you've heard a said that the blind hog can, sooner or later can get an acorn. It just so happens at this church that Tony Parker actually gave a prophecy years ago that this would be an oasis. If you want to blame anybody for it, blame him. He said we would be an oasis in which the people would come in, drink, and but yet they would be sent out. And if you'll notice, an oasis is not a city. It's a watering hole. So it just so happens we're agreeing with what's happening here at this church. And as ever since I've been affiliated with it, this is what's happened. But in these latter days, I think it's quite possible that we'll see this increase. You'll probably, because the way it's kind of happened is people in this congregation know of people in ministry that aren't connected with anybody. And they need a somebody to walk with them and a covering, if you will. And we have many uh, missionaries at this church. Just like I say, we can blame Tony Parker for the prophecy, but we have to blame our pastor for calling us to be in like the Moravians. You know, the Moravians congregation, the largest one wasn't very big. And the reason is they kept leaving and taking the gospel to the world. And so we're not really trying to grow new life to be some big mega church in Alexander County. I can't imagine having that many rednecks in one place anyway. <laughs> but besides that, that wasn't the Lord. That was me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it just so happens this church has, what we're trying to do is recognize what God's doing here. And you've heard it said, best thing to do is just join God in what he's doing. And that's what we're trying to do. All of a sudden, you know, say, hey, this is what God's doing. Let's join him. So we'll have this fellowship of ministries you'll see pretty soon on our webpage. The elders, it's a, you say who's over it, it's actually an elder-driven group, fellowship of ministries. And because there'll be times in these different ministries, the elders will be called on to perhaps speak into the different ministries or whatever. And some of you that have been in ministry for years, 
we'll be calling upon you also, hoping that you'll join the Fellowship of Ministries. Well, you'll probably have to disjoin it because we've already put you in. <laughs> so I guess you can get out. But we'll put that click on the webpage last. Uh, no, we will. We believe that it's the association of those that's in ministry and that fellowship can draw together. And we're thinking that it'll create a, some dialogue between ministries for help also. So that's set before us. And so that's what just happened this morning. And it keeps happening about once, once a month here lately, I think. All right. As we begin here, and you know the scripture, Matthew 24, I do prophesy that I will get you through as in the days of Noah. I will get you through this. I was really banking on the second coming before I got through it. <laughs> there, there is still time. And uh, I like to put up this little quote here of David Wilkerson. When God calls you to something, he is not always calling you to succeed. He's calling you to obey. The success of the calling is up to him. The obedience is up to you. I just think that's just a... I've read that one over the years and um, that how obedience is, is our issue. The world measures things by success and God measures things by obedience. And it's amazing how the whole world today gauges the opposite of that. They gauge success by how much you have, how much stuff you have is how we gauge uh, success. And so therefore, since we do think that way, whatever how much stuff I have is proof. Here you can look at it, what I have, house, cars, whatever. This shows you how much success I've had in life. We don't tell people that over half of it's borrowed money. <laughs> so I don't know if we can measure that as success or not. But really and truly the mindset of humanity today is success is based on how much stuff you have. Instead of, uh, and, and even in the United States and in the world, we measure things by how much we consume. We have a, our consumer index in the United States is much greater than our production index. We're known as the nation of consumerism. And so since we consume so much, we tend to measure each other by how much we have consumed in life. Whether, and that's usually stuff. And we tend to measure by how much we consume when the only true measurement is production. And it just so happens in the United States today, we tend to consume a lot more than we produce. And so therefore, look at your credit cards and call me a liar. Because most people have much more on their credit cards than their production can afford. True measurement is production not consumerism, even though in today's United States, we have a, we go more by consumer index. I don't know who that's for or why I even said it, but there it is. Faith is not to get you out of a hand of a hard place, but to change your heart in the hard place. I don't know if anybody's ever had a hard place. I got a few extra ones if anybody needs one. <laughs> and that is the challenge, is it not? Is our faith is to change our heart in the hard place. It, my first go-to is, oh God, remove the hard place. I, I'm sure most of you, that's not true, but that's my go-to, God, remove the hard place. And it's always the challenge of my faith. And I've discovered that here lately, I spoke to somebody about it yesterday, how that our faith is basically the, you know, when we, if, we're, if we're at the end of our days and if we have a moment to lie in a bed for a few weeks, our faith is all that we have our faith in Him. That's it. That's all that we have. And so God challenges us all through life that our faith might grow in Him. I somewhat am suspicious that's so that we could be of great faith at the last days of our, of our life. And Lord, please be with whoever that side rings for. In Jesus' name, 
Okay, uh, this is, uh, as we begin again in this last leg of the journey, this is a diagram, which I've added a little more to it. But this is the four main groups in the book of Revelation that we've spoken about. We see this in groups of sevens. We have the seven churches, which we've been through. And now it looks to us or to me as though we're in that last church, the Laodicean church age. We know this was actual churches, but also stood for church ages. It looks as though we're in the Laodicean. That is the lukewarm church. And I think we could give testimony of that. The next one is the seven seals. The next one is the seven trumpets. And the last one is the seven vials of the wrath of God. So we have those basically, when you look at the book of Revelation, people say it's really hard to understand. In one way it is, but it can... uh it has what I call an architectural design to it. It's not just as haphazard as it might look. It does have a design in how it's put together. And right here, I have shown you that you have a th- parenthetical pause. And uh, you might, you'll be going through the, the Revelation, and you'll see all of a sudden parenthetical chapters. You're like, well, well, what does that mean? There again, it's got a design to it. At the seven seals, you'll have a parenthetical pause, with this is a parenthesis between the earthquakes and the angels. You'll also have have one with the seven trumpets between the sixth and the seventh, a trumpet. And I'm going to show you how that worked quickly. You'll have another one there in the, well, here you see that the seven seals I've mentioned to you, but I'm going over it again quickly just as a remembrance. The seven seals start taking place in the Laodicean church age. Once you see the design, how it works, it starts making sense. So we're in the Laodicean church age. Do we think that the seven seals have begun? This I will tell you that they happen in the Laodicean church age. So we know that there's going to be a Laodicea church here through the whole book. In other words, some people say, well, I believe in the rapture of the church. Some people say, well, I believe the church will go through the rapture. And if you will allow it, both of them are true. I believe that there is a rapture of the church. And I think there's part of Christendom that goes through the lukewarm. Those that are not, they'll go through the tribulation period. And that's, that's how that puppy walks. Now, here's another one, uh, the seven trumpets. Once you get to the seven angels after the earthquakes, I've also shown you in times past how you get to the earthquakes. That's the finishing of the prophecy of Joel. We know that we are in a parenthesis in, in the prophecy of Joel. In these days, you'll, you'll pour out my spirit. Then we got the seven vials or bowls, they call it, starts right there in the seventh trumpet. Now, Here, what I want us to see is chapter 6 is basically talking about the seven seals. And then over here you have chapters 8 and 9 is basically talking about the seven trumpets. Now in the parentheses right there, you'll see is chapter 7. So you've got chapter 6 and you've got the parentheses of chapter 7 and you go to 8 9. And then you have a parentheses in 10 through 14. So you actually got four chapters of parentheses, which can be kind of confusing if you're trying to chronologically read it. But what I suggest to people when I'm teaching them Revelation, I'll, I'll teach them how to read through it, leave out the parentheses verses. And then we'll go back and pick up on the parentheses. Parentheses basically gives more detail to some of the things. And so you have parentheses. So you've got, to, you've got chapters 8 and 9 in the parentheses is 10 through 14. Then you pick up with the, with the wrath of God's chapter 15, and that parentheses is actually chapter 16, which is is afterwards. So if you want to take a picture of that slide, you're more than welcome to. can appear to be, and perhaps you can get a little bit of that. In chapter 17, and I am going to skip over some chapters here, I'll skip parentheses and 
a few things here. Uh, last week, I started picking up about this woman on these beasts, riding the beast in chapter 17, and we'll quickly look at this. Revelation 17, there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, talked with me, saying unto me, come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon the many waters. Terminology there is maybe a little rough to some, but it is the great whore, which means it's false affections. That's what it's speaking about. So we know that this rider of these beasts is called the great whore, and it will bring in false affections. Now, this great whore is, is actually religion. Is what you got to understand. This is a religion and probably even false Christianity, which that's a whole story in itself. But with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast. These colors do have tremendous significance. If you ever want to do a study on the colors and what it's signifying, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads, 10 horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones, pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and a filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was written a name written, which is Mystery of Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So we, in our Christian mindset, we know that we have a great enemy called the devil and his cohorts of darkness. And then we know the scripture speaks of a, a wolves in sheep's clothing. Then we know Jesus tells us that in this day that we're living in now is the day of the great deception. So the this great deception today is this darkness, this wolf, but it's in sheep's clothing. So we shouldn't be too startled when we find out that these wolves have taken on the covering of people like us, of believers, of the Most High God. So our greatest deception is people that we would think would be with us. And in other words, our ranks have been invaded, if you will, by darkness. Now, it's easy for me to say that the Catholic Church uh, represents this, and I do think that it's right there at the top of it. But that doesn't exclude the rest of us. That's what we have to remember. It doesn't ex exclude us if we're not part of the Catholic Church. Does the structure of the Catholic Church fit it like a glove? The answer is yes, it does. But also, do I think there's believers in the Catholic Church? Yes, by all means. I think there's believers I know some, you know, some of the strongest Christian mystics, if you will, are come out of, are associated with that. So it just so happens that God grades us on an individual basis. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> he grades us on a, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that he grades us on an individual basis. This is an individual relationship. And we do tend to take on identities with the groups of people that we fellowship with which can almost be a huge mistake. Now, don't bury me yet. Let me tell you why. We're living in a day that personal identity is in disarray. People are trying to identify with this or identify with that. If you have, put it this way, if you have a mental disorder, a lot of people have them and don't know it, but if you have a mental disorder, which is habitually not thinking healthy, if you have a mental disorder, that is giving your identity into the disorder, whether it be alcohol or it could be drugs or it could be any thinking that's habitual and not healthy is a disorder. So there's not many of us sitting in here that, I mean, I know Trevor has one, he wants to be a rock star. So, I mean, you know, 
there's no doubt we've all got a little problem. But I, what I want you to consider is what we identify with can be a disorder. That means things are out of order. And there you get into the understanding of the uh, identifying ourselves with Christ. There's not one place of our identity that, it's t that we're to embrace. And that's our identity in Christ. And so everything around us, and, and it's very subtle. We just need to understand it can be anger. It can be pornography. It can be homosexuality. It could be go on and on and on. We consider those the big ones. There's a much lesser ones are probably even the most dangerous. But when we identify with anything other than Christ, this self-identity, well, let me put it this way. I don't think we've yet to discover all we have when we truly start identifying with Christ. Can I say it? That's what I'm trying to say. I think, I know personally I have not. Do I identify with Christ? I mean, when I stand up here and say these things, you've got to please understand, I beg of you, that I feel the most convicted of anybody in the room. And so as I'm saying to you I, that to identify, we have so many things to identify with, but Christ is the one we want to identify with. And, and you know, I think that even you know, goes for the Dallas Cowboys. We all know that's sin. That was a joke. That was a joke. And you see, we can identify even so much with a charismatic group or an independent Baptist or Catholicism. Or we say, well, this is who I am. Well, uh, well really? Re really? Is that, is that who you are? And so the only reason I'm saying these things is call, calling us into question. I don't think there's anything wrong with us identifying because we love our country or love of Dallas Cowboys or whatever. But our true identity in Christ is the issue, and that's what's at stake today. And I'm not truly sure if we're that aware of our own personal identity in Christ, because that's where the anointing is. If we really knew, I personally think the lack of anointing in my life has, is associated with the authentic association I do with my personal life with Christ. I sincerely believe that, right or wrong, I sincerely believe that. And I still have quite a journey yet in associating my life with Christ because I'm, I'm in way too much discussions with him to be, to be given over to the life of Christ. But yet, I think it's, and the reason I'm bringing this up, listen, I think it's for somebody watching or even in here perhaps, when we identify our greatest good, our greatest place of excitement, our greatest place of charisma, and the reason I say that is that's a personal prayer I had this week with the Lord. Is, uh, I said, Lord, why am I not more excited about you and the gospel than I am? And of course, I'm not a, a giddy type person at 70, but I could be. I could embarrass every one of you because I was so giddy. And because of the charisma of the kingdom of God. And as we talk about, and as I talk about these things, I won't much today, it's obvious, but as we talk about these things in Revelation, it can be sobering. I've got some information today that is very sobering. But as sobering as the information is on where our country is today, as sobering as that is, how exciting should it be of the direction and my association with the coming of Christ? Do I believe that? Well, if you don't have that to outweigh the, the bad information, you're going to leave from here a very sad person. It's going to look totally hopeless, if you will. Now, just because we've become aware of some dark information doesn't mean it wasn't there all the time because it was. We're just becoming aware of it. But I do believe that our association with the second coming of Christ 
with the coming of Christ in the air, the rapture of the church, as I'm an embracer of, if not the second coming of Christ. Either way, we're all going. Some of you may be seven years later, but nonetheless. <laughs> Y'all let me have a little fun with it, please. Just let, just, just let me have a little fun. Now, I think that our associate, I have talked with so many this week on their false identities, and that, that was the problem. They were identifying with this, or they were identifying with that, or identifying, and it was just amazing. I said, whoa, whoa, can't pull back just a little bit here. That's not you. If you take drugs, alcohol, that's not you. Anger, that's really and truly not you. It's just really not. It's a demonic spirit wanting to attach and live through you. But there again, I have the choice of associating with it or not. One of the persons that I was in a, conversation with, even as of last night, I'd had three or four others. And a lot of times I'll have this certain person run this one rabbit trail for me. Her name's Jenna Laird. Y'all know Jenna. And we talked about, she had uh, a food disorder and we talked about the association, how she would associate with that is who she was when she learned that that wasn't who she was. The only way she ever escaped it, she texted to me was, the only way she ever fully escaped it was when she fully identified herself with Christ. She said, Alan, that's the only way I ever escaped it. It was when I made a total identity. She said, my problem was I couldn't withhold anything. I don't know if y'all can hear what she was saying there. She said, her problem was she couldn't withhold. She had to give it all. She had to go for it and take on the identity of, of who Christ was. And so she now spends her life in trying to learn more about Christ. And she'll text me every now and then and said, did you know this about Jesus? <laughs> you know. Or do you know that about Jesus or this verse or that verse? And what I've discovered through some of those conversations, she's adapting that to her identity. Isn't that something? You know, I've heard it over and over. People says, well, I just want to be myself. <laughs> no, you don't. That's a bad idea. Where, bad idea. Where did you come up with that idea? But yet that's what we say. Or if I could get out of this marriage or if I could get out of this job or, or so I could really be who I am. I set my three children down when they, they were really small and I prayed over them and I said, my prayer is that you'll meet Jesus before you do your daddy. And I was very sincere because the only hope her daddy had was they knew Jesus first and could be very forgiving. So anyway, it's that type of identity that I think is a big problem as I was going into this scripture here, the great whore. What happens is the people start identifying because they are seduced. They're seducing spirits out here today, in religion probably more than anything, are uh, these seducing spirits. And Jesus warns us about these seducing spirits. All right, let me move on here. And it says that they have been drunk with the wine of her fornication, that's seduction. And it's called the mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, the abominations of the earth. Now, there's not any way to soft pedal that. I can't make that user-friendly. I cannot make it politically correct. There's just absolutely no way to put where we are in this day. Now, in chapter 17, it says, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. There are seven kings, five are fallen. One is, the other one is yet to come. And when he cometh, he must continue for a short space. Now, we know this ties in with Daniel. Basically already happened. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seventh going into perdition. Mountain here stands for the word governments. We know that Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, 
historically have fallen. You remember the in Daniel, the Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Rome one was in John's day. John says one is, as you see up there. One and one is. That would be Rome. John was writing it from then. And then he said, and yet to come is trying to emerge in our day. I introduced you last week to more about Babylon as I had more this week. But Babylon has always been trying to re-emerge since its destruction. Now, the, the religion of Babylon was not destroyed. The religions of Babylon, they were not destroyed, and they have survived. And so all the paganism and the rituals and all of these, I mean, Trevor taught on these gods here a few months back. They survived the destruction that we see with the Tower of Babel. One reason for the Tower of Babel was they were trying to build a, a tall structure so if there was another flood that they could, would, wouldn't drown. I go figure that. That was a dumb one, wasn't it? We see that John depicts a strong woman that would seduce the world. And as believers, what we have to understand today, seduction is the key avenue in which we will fall today. In the Bible, the ancient city of Babylon was a symbol of corruption, arrogance, and seduction, which would have a negative influence upon the world. This symbol is used from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, we see that Babylon was founded after the flood. Nimrod was a ruler. He had an empire of one ruler with one language. Nimrod led the people in the revolt against God. He talked them into building a tower that would protect them from another flood and would reach into heaven. Now, it's these types of attitudes, if you will, that are carried over into the book of Revelation. When you understand the Tower of Babel, it helps you to understand more about what's happening in the book of Revelation. What happened is what's happening is Babylon is constantly trying to reemerge from the old Nimrod. If you want to know what was in Babylon back then, look around. Just look around as in the days of Noah. And so it's important that we understand that as we move forward. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this day that you've made. We ask and pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd be with us as we go into the rest of our service today. Lord, I ask and pray that we would be enlightened to the realities that are around us. But I pray, oh God, at the same time, that we would be enlightened more and more of who we are in Christ, that the anointing that's needed for these last days could flow through your people. I pray, Lord, that in the next 10 years, if, if possible, it could be written down. I pray a greater outpouring of the prophecy of Joel in the next 10 years than's ever happened even to this point in time. I pray, oh God, that your believers, that your children, I pray that your church would be a true representation of your kingdom, that we truly might provoke the Jews to jealousy because they see upon our lives are the anointing of the Most High God. Thank you for forgiveness of sin and the opportunity to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. <laughs>